morning. Welcome to another episode of History Under Your Feet. Today we take a life, look at the life of one of the greatest Hindu leaders of the 20th century, Swami Shraddhanand, one of the proponents of the original Garbapsi, a nationalist and a socialist, social reformer too. When one looks at the intellectual renaissance that drove nationalism in the early 19th century, we had great thinkers like Swami Vivekananda, Swami Dayananda, Aurobindo, and leaders like Lala Lajpat Rai who played a role in fomenting nationalism in Punjab and North. It was to such an illustrious pantheon of greats that Swami Shraddhanand, also known as Mahatma Munshiram, belonged to. It's ironical though that his early life showed no signs of greatness to come. He was an atheist court addicted to gambling, drinking and lust. In a sense, his early life had some parallels with that of Swami Dayananda. Born in a well-to-do family in Jalandhar district of Punjab in 1856, his real name was Munshi Rambaj. His father Nanakchan was a top-ranking police officer and that meant the family was constantly on the move. His atheist beliefs were born out of his own bitter experiences, like seeing devotees being stopped at a temple to allow a lady of a noble family to complete a puja. Or when he was attracted to Christianity, he saw the priest in a compromising position with a nun and gave it up. He tried to go towards Islam, but in Varanasi, he witnessed a case where an influential Muslim lawyer accused of the rape of a young girl managed to get away thanks to his power. For a while, he spent time in Madura, but it was disgusted with what he saw as the corruption and gluttony of the priest there, as well as the attempted rape of a female devotee. These experiences made him cynical. He became an atheist, lost interest in studies, and was became addicted to alcohol and gambling. Fortunately, it was an encounter with Swami Dayananda Saraswati that put his life back on the right track and veered him away from the path of ruin. His father was then posted in Bareilly and was in charge of the security arrangements for Dayananda's visit, as well as a public debate with Reverend Scott. He went along with some of his friends to actually disrupt the arrangements but was impressed by Swamiji's personality. He admired Swamiji's fearlessness in disregarding the threats to his life and taking the missionaries head-on. He had his own discussion with Swamiji about God and told him that while his arguments were perfect, he could not get himself to believe in God. Swamiji simply smiled and told him, when did I promise that I would make you believe in God? Your faith in God will only come when the Lord himself makes you a believer. The prophecy by Swamiji came true in a way. He witnessed his wife Shiva Devi pawning her ornaments to pay for his drinking and a friend of his attempting to rape a girl under the influence of alcohol. It was then he realized the ill effects of liquor and how it could make a man into a beast. Swan Adhis was on the path to become a believer. Munshiram finished his law studies and began to practice in Jalandhar. It was at Jalandhar that he joined the Arasamaj and came under the influence of Lala Devraj. It would result in a total transformation in his life. He gave up alcohol, meat-eating and began to take part in the activities of Arasamaj regularly. When some of the more conservative Brahmins planned to declare it as outcast, he came to know of their clandestine activities and threatened to expose them, making them retreat. His popularity rose even more when he won a public debate with Pandit Shamdas of Amritsar on the Vedas. He started the weekly Sadharma Pracharak in Urdu for the propagation of Vedic philosophy and also started the morning time Nagar Kirtan. After he successfully organized the Arisamaj anniversary in Jalandhar, it became even more noted and he became even more well known. One of the major initiatives taken by him was in the field of women's education. In those days, mostly Christian missionary schools allowed women and away they often brainwashed them against Hinduism. 
He underscored the need for a women's education in the second issue of Sadharma Pracharak in an article headlined Adora Insaf or Half Justice. The series of articles in 1889 strongly argued about the need for Hindu schools to admit women. In spite of opposition from more, from more conservative Hindus and missionaries, he, he stood his ground and in 1891 the foundation was laid. By 1892, around 40 girls had enrolled. They were given incentives to study and by 1895 the school had 100 girl students. The Kanya Mahavidyalaya High School for Girls was inaugurated in June 1896 and it reached out to students in Punjab, the Northwest, Indian son from Pune. In a way, Munshiram was heavily influenced by Satyata Prakash of Swami Dayanand and championed the cause of women's education vigorously. He began to conduct the remarriage of child widows, often at the cost of being excommunicated. Again, he stood his ground quoting from the Vedas and Manusmriti to show that without remarriage was not against Hindu Dharma. In 1925, he passed a resolution through Arasamar stating that no girl should be married before 16 and no boy before 25. We take a small break and when we come back, we look at his founding of the Kangri Vijjalaya and the concept behind it. Though he was a part of the Arisamaj, Munshiram felt that DAV schools were not really suitable for producing adults who would live as per the Vedic ideals. He wanted to make Vedic education the core curriculum at DAV, however a section opposed him. And soon there was a split in the Arisamaj between those who advocated a Vedic form of instruction and those who were against it. He was among those believing in the Gurukul system far away from the urban centers where he felt the youth were vulnerable to all kinds of vices. It could have been due to his own experiences. His ideal education was in a Gurukul located among forest hills far away from urban areas, imparting the study of Vedas as well as the modern disciplines. And it was this dream that took shape in 1901 at the village of Kankal near Haridwar, on land donated by Munshi Amar Singh. By 1917, the Gurukul became a huge complex of buildings with 276 students, a university with 64 students and staff of 35. It had laboratories, classrooms, dormitory, hospital, workshop. Soon other branches of the Gurukul opened at Multan, Kurukshetra and Rohatak. This Gurukul is now famous as the Gurukul Kangri University at Haridwar, one of the leading education institutes in India. When Lala Rajpatrai was arrested and deported, the Britishers began to crack down on the Arisamaj as they felt it had become its centre of sedition. Munshiram began to argue that the Arisamaj was a purely religious body not connected with politics in a series of articles. He however spoke out against harassments Arsamajis had to undergo at the hands of British and even defended Lalaji in a newspaper article in 1907. He even invited British officials to the Gurukul and one of them was C.F. Andrews who praised it as a real India and later became his close friend. Others were Ramsey MacDonald, Viceroy Lord Chelmsford and in 1915 Mahatma Gandhi visited and was totally impressed. When the Patiala Maharaja imprisoned 75 Arsamajis for sedition in 1909, Munshiram appeared in court to defend them. He forced the Maharaja to apologize and withdraw the case. With the passing away of his life, wife Munshiram decided to take the sannyas. And on April 12, 1917, in the presence of 20,000 witnesses, he undertook the initiation, studying his old garments, assuming a new life. He took the name of Shraddhananda, saying faith or Shraddha was what guided his life. He cut off ties with his family, Arasamaj, and declared that only God was his guru. Munshi Ram was now Swami Shraddhananda, the free spirit liberated from all early world earthly bonds. 
While apolitical for the most part, he plunged into the freedom movement in 1919 in response to Mahatma Gandhi's call. He actively protested against the draconian toilet pill and soon began to address mass meetings all over. When riots broke out in Delhi, Swami Shraddhanand arrived there to restore peace. A group of Manipuri soldiers tried to control the crowd, aimed their rifles at it. Swami Shraddhanand definitely bared his chest and invited them to fire. Fortunately, the situation was diffused with the arrival of a European officer. It was then Swami Shraddhanand realized his leadership potential and the ability to grind crowds. On April 4, 1919, Swami Shraddhananda created history, preaching from the pulpit of Jamma Masjid in Delhi. In his characteristic saffron rose, Swami Shraddhananda spoke about the need for Hindu-Muslim unity and how they to unite against a common enemy, the British government. His act of bearing his chest to soldiers and his preaching from the pulpit of Jamma Masjid had an electrifying effect. He was by now seen as a hero, a saviour whose tribe had come. Though Swami Shraddhananda came into the freedom movement at the insistence of Mahatma Gandhi, he later fell out with him on many issues. He was not satisfied with the tactics adopted by Gandhi. He felt non-violence was not really an effective way. The major difference between them was on two, that of Dalits and the other of Hindu-Muslim relationships. Coming from an Arisamaj background, it was only character that determined a person's destiny, not his birth. He was completely against untouchability and wanted to make it a core issue of the Congress Manifesto. He felt that mere political freedom would have no meaning if people were discriminated on the basis of caste. He wanted the Dalits to be accepted as equal partners, allowed entry into temples and given education in schools. Swamiji exposed the nefarious activities of the Christian missionaries and believed that the only way to counter them was to give the Dalits more education and a more dignified life. However, the Congress party ignored these resolutions and instead appeared to be more interested in the Khilafat movement. In spite of Swamiji's repeated attempts at various Congress sessions to include removal of untouchability as a core point, it was never given importance by Gandhiji and at the Ali brothers played their own dirty politics to sideline him. Undeterred, Swamiji kept fighting for the rights of the untouchables and actively took up their cause for Tamilandry and education in a new magazine, The Liberator. The other major difference Swamiji had with Gandhi was over the Khilafat issue. He felt that the Khilafat movement was just a means to spread radical Islamism in India through the back door. He repeatedly warned Gandhiji of increasing the Khilafat, saying it was potentially to observe, but his concerns were dismissed. The Congress also started its policy of appeasing radical Muslim leaders in order to counter the Muslim League's growing influence. When some Muslims demanded when some Hindus demanded ban on co-slaughter, Gandhi refused to do so, saying Muslims should not be forced to do so. At the same time, in 1912, the Mopla rebellion in Kerala's Malabar region resulted in horrific atrocities against the Hindus there. Gandhi refused to condemn, condemn them, fearing it would affect the Hindu-Muslim unity and in fact praise the Moplas for their jihad. When the Hindus protested against the Muslim silence of the Mopla atrocity, Gandhiji once again dismissed their concerns. Dissatisfied with what he felt as the Congress silence over the radical Muslim activities, Swamiji was now attracted to the Hindu Mahasabha. And on April 2, 1923, he spoke in the presence of Madan Mohan Malaviya and other members of the need to integrate the Dalits in the Hindu fold through education and a better life. He felt that only Hindu unity could save them from other religions trying to wipe out the Sanatan Dharma. And one such significant event was the Shuddhi of the Malkana Rajputs who had converted to Islam forcibly. These Rajputs scattered around Madhra Farukabad were Muslims with name, but they followed Hindu customs. On 30th 
13 February 1923, he established the Bharatiya Hindu Shuddhi Sabha to reconvert them back to the Hindu fold and soon he travelled from village to village reconverting and by end of the year around 30,000 had undergone the Shuddhi. This naturally arose the ire of influential Muslim leaders who condemned his activities and in places like Muradabad, Swamiji was barred from any public activity. Sadly, he did not get any support either from Congress leaders and many like Mutila Nehru, Jawaharlal Nehru, Gandhiji distanced themselves to Shuddhi's movement. Gandhiji, in fact, called Swamiji hasty and immature. He called the Arisamaj too narrow-minded interpretation of the Vedas. Notwithstanding Gandhiji's disapproval of Shuddhi, the fact was that it saved many Hindus from conversion to Christianity or Islam. In 1926, Swamiji performed the Shuddhi of a Muslim lady, Ashkari Begum, in Delhi. She was reconverted and given the name of Shanti Devi. It however led to a huge uproar in the Muslim community. Her former husband filed a case of abduction and forcible conversion against Swamiji, his son Indra and his son-in-law Dr. Sukhdev. However, Swamiji was acquitted of all charges by the court. On December 23, 1926, he was taking rest in his Delhi home. A Muslim by the name of Abdul Rashid asked him to see him and discuss with him some aspects of Islam. Swamiji explained he was weak and had an attack of pneumonia and said he would discuss later. Rashid asked for some water and when Swamiji's personal attendant Dharma was away, fired two shots point blank into his chest. Though he was overpowered by Dharma and Indra, Swamiji was dead on the spot. The great man had become a martyr for the cause of the nation, for the cause of Sanatan Dharma. He paid a price for his steadfast faith in his beliefs from which he never wavered. On his journey, take time to pay a silent tribute to Swami Shraddhanand, the proponent of the original Gharvapsi, a man who called out the dangers of the Islam, Islamism, a great social reformer, a nationalist and the thinker, Naman.